1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11. Spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are, variety, there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifesta manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given the spirit, the utterance of witness, wi wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, and to another, faith by the same spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. May God bless this reading. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you're uh, visiting with us, you're new, we're working our way through this particular book of the Bible. That's what we do, and uh, uh, at least uh, a lot of the time. And this is one book we've been in for uh, just a little while, um, and it's written by a man named Paul to a church in a city named Corinth, which is actually still ex in existence today. And um, this is a, a letter that he wrote to them, um, partially in response to a letter that they had written to him, and also to just instruct them in uh, what it means to be a Christian. As we come to this particular uh, few verses that uh, Reg read for us, um, they seem to be introducing a new topic that Paul is uh, interacting with this congregation about. And uh, part of the issue seems to be spirituality. How do you know if somebody is spiritual? Uh, we all have different ways in which we uh, kind of think about spirituality and those that we think are spiritual versus those that are not spiritual. Uh, for instance, some of us might think if you have a certain title that you're a really spiritual person. Um, sometimes we think that uh, spirituality is rooted in by um, something that somebody has written or uh, their teaching expresses uh, a deep knowledge and wisdom and so they must be a really spiritual person. Uh, sometimes we think that the spirituality is defined by good works, and so somebody who is out there and doing a lot of things and uh, ministering a lot to people around them and sacrificing a lot of things, they've really got to be a spiritual person. Uh, sometimes we think, well, spirituality is measured by behavior. And so if you have people that are living a certain way and they're avoiding certain things and they're uh, embracing certain other things, then they must really be spiritual people. Um, all of that is not necessarily true. And as we come to the church in Corinth, there was an issue that was going on there. And it seemed to be that spirituality was being measured by a gift that you had or gifts that you had as uh, part of the church. And in particular, there was issues around the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. And uh, they are uh, gifts that are in operation in, in the churches. And here they seem to be a measure of spirituality. The whole book so far, I think, has been wrestling with these uh, Corinthian believers about what constitutes a spiritual person. And so when we first started the book, if you were here back when we did, they were debating about whether uh, they should follow Paul or Cephas or, or um, Apollos or Christ. And uh, there seemed to be a sense that the person that you followed indicated your spirituality. Uh, they also had discussions about wisdom and what constituted wisdom and that some wisdom was better than other wisdom. 
I think uh, they also got to issues around um, sin and whether you associated with sinners or not and the, the, the degree to which you associated with sinners and tolerated sinners, uh, even in their midst, was a way that you measured your spirituality. They also seem to be saying that uh, if you abstain from sexual relations, that you were more spiritual than others. Or if you were married or if you were single, that that was a measure of spirituality. And so they had all these things that they were wrestling through, trying to figure out how do you know if you are really spiritual or not. And we come to this particular portion of Scripture, the next three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, and it seems to be around the issue of spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts we're going to talk a little bit about are gifts that the Spirit of God gives for the common good and the building up of the body of Christ. And so they were um, uh, having a conflict, it seems, in their congregation about if you had one gift, did that mean you were more spiritual than those who didn't have that gift? So Paul begins, uh, you see in, in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Now concerning, uh, if you've been here at all for any length of time, you realize that Paul is responding to a letter that they had written to him. And much of 1 Corinthians, particularly starting at chapter 12, is all about Paul's corresponding with them in regards to a letter they had sent. In chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, and he takes up one issue after another issue after another. And this is about the third or the fourth or the fifth issue that he takes up with them and in addressing um, their concern. We don't really know what they raised because we don't have that letter. All we have is Paul's response to them. And so sometimes it's a little bit difficult to make out exactly what their issue is. But Paul then simply says, now concerning spiritual gifts. So clearly they had raised the issue with him about spiritual gifts. Right off the start, though, there's a little bit of trouble here uh, because that word that's translated spiritual gifts can also be translated spiritual people. And it seems to be a word that they used, and Paul is going to introduce his response to them by using the same word they used, but switching gears on them. Because the word that they used is, is, is uh, pneumatikos, which is um, spiritual gifts, as they say, or spiritual people. And it's ambiguous as to which one he actually means here. But he's simply responding to their concern, which is focusing on people. And Paul is going to switch that out for a different word, which probably, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you've, you've heard it. It's charismata, from which we get charismatics from. Um, and it's a great switch because Paul now uses that word for the rest of the chapter. And that word emphasizes the work of God. So he moves the discussion from focusing on themselves and a gift that they might have to focusing on the gifts that God gives us out of his generosity that he graciously lavishes upon a congregation. And it's a subtle shift that he makes, but it's an important shift that he makes because he wants to change their thinking and the focus of their thinking from themselves to focusing on God. He begins to, to do this then by saying, listen, I don't want you to be uninformed about these things. In other words, I don't want you to be in ignorance. I want you to understand um, the way that the, the Spirit of God works in a local body of believers. In your past life, he says, you were in ignorance. You were led, about, um, uh, you were led to uh, mute idols, not led by them, but you were led to mute idols, and you did things that you didn't really even understand that you were doing. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. You were led here, you were led there. You didn't understand where you were going and there was no response back to you. And so he's saying to them that uh, what he wants to do is help them understand a little bit more about what it means to be a spiritual person. Then he comes to verse 3 and it's therefore, so he's summarizing it all. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. 
And no one can say Jesus is, is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. I'm really not sure uh, what Paul is saying there entirely, to be honest with you. I, I did a lot of thinking and a lot of praying and a lot of reading, and I must admit I still don't have a lot of clarity about what he's referring to when he says no one by the Holy Spirit says Jesus is accursed. It seems to be, though, what he's saying to them by, by, by having the, the same statement then, but um, uh, those who say Jesus is Lord can only do that by the Holy Spirit. He seems to be moving um, the measure of spirituality from uh, something that we do to something that has happened to us by uh, response to the Lord Jesus Christ, to, from gifts to a relationship that we have. And I think that's what he's wanting to get at, is that though all who confess Jesus Christ as Lord are truly spiritual. Spirituality is not measured by a gift that you have or a, a level of obedience that you have, because we can fool and trick a lot of people. And that would leave some as being more spiritual than others. But he says, anyone who is spiritual at all, they are spiritual because they are in Jesus Christ. They have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so anyone here who is a follower of Jesus Christ and has put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life, you are a spiritual person. And that's what he wants to do with this congregation. He wants to level the playing field so that they all understand that they are all spiritual people because they are all in Christ Jesus. That is the measure of their spirituality. So again, spirituality is not measured by a particular gift that we might have or by the lack of a gift that we have in our life. It's rooted in a confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. That when you make that confession, and when you understand what it is to submit your life to Jesus Christ, and to accept the work that he has done for you, and freeing you from your sins, and freeing you from your guilt, and making you a child of God, you then become a spiritual person. Because before that, you are dead in your sins and trespasses. You have no spiritual life. It's only through Christ Jesus that we become spiritual people. And so these first few uh, sentences really set the table as he's beginning to um, answer the question, what, what does it mean to be spiritual? He says, don't malign those who have certain gifts. Don't be intimidated by those who have a more prominent gift than somebody else. It's easy for us to look at the, uh, the presence of the Spirit in somebody and the power that they have or the gifts that they uh, use. And it's easy for us to say, well, they must really be a spiritual pe person because look at how God is using them. And I don't know if you've ever thought that sometimes. You're, you're around people who are particular public in the way that they serve God and, and you say, wow, they must be really spiritual. That's not the case at all necessarily. And what Paul wants to say again is the ultimate way in which we judge spirituality is by is this person confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then he moves on then from there to begin to open the door a little bit to a discussion about gifts and the way that they are in operation in the church. And I think sometimes we think about diversity in life and we think diversity means chaos. Uh, we, but, but that's not always the case and that's certainly not the case with God. We look at this incredible universe and world that God has made. You can go to the farthest reaches of the farthest galaxy and you can see incredible diversity in the heavens and in the galaxies. You can go to the deepest part of the ocean and to the core of the earth even and find just an incredible diversity of even uh, uh, wildlife or animal life or sea life and of rock formations and all that kind of stuff. And all of that diversity though has come from a single source which is God. It's incredible that God can create such massive diversity and yet it all come from the same source. And that's how 
Paul wants us to think about the church. That there is this incredible opportunity of diversity. Every one of us comes with uniqueness and something unique to offer the body of Christ. And yet it all finds its source in God and Christ and the Spirit. And so we need to understand that as Paul is talking about these gifts here, that he's not afraid of diversity. He's not trying to limit it to one or two gifts. He's really trying to blow it apart. And he says, listen, there are varieties of gifts. There are varieties of ministries. There are varieties of workings. And in fact, the better way, I think, of understanding it is that there are um, distributions of gifts. There are distributions of ministry. There are distributions of working in, in, in the sense that God has got just incredible ways of giving out to his people ways in which they can serve and minister and be part of a local body of believers. And he wants to, wants to make us aware that there is this huge diversity, but all of that diversity finds its source in God. And as he looks at these resources, he wants us to understand that and take our focus off our particular gift and drive us back to considering God from whom all of these gifts come. And so all of these manifestations, all of these energies, all of these ministries, and they're wonderful. And you look at a body of Christ like ours, and there is just incredible diversity. In fact, as many of us as Christians, there is that kind of diversity at work in this local assembly. But it all traces itself back to God and His wonderful, gracious giving to us of abilities. In fact, you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and it says there, um, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, Paul is, he says, listen, if you have anything, it's because God has been gracious to you and has gifted you with that. And it's no reason then to boast. As we think about giftings then, and as Paul is responding to uh, these Corinthian believers, and as he's setting the str uh, tables straight about what it means to be spiritual, that one is in Christ Jesus and confesses him as Lord, as he reminds them that the incredible diversity is a good thing, but it traces its way back to God, he provides sort of the first summary of it all in verse 7, when he says, to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is really, I think, helpful. I think sometimes people really wrestle with, well, do I really have a gift? Do I have a place? Do I fit anywhere? If, if, you're, if your answer is no, then you're not reading your Bible correctly. Because the Bible is very clear to each one. Every single person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, who has put their trust in him, uh, has a, a ministry, has a gift, has a way in which God wants you to serve in a local body of believers. Every single one of us. There is nobody that can say, I don't have a gift. And we should never look at somebody and say, well, they really don't fit here. If God has saved you and if God has brought you to this local assembly, God has given you a way in which you can serve and minister for the good of this local body of believers. So there's nobody left out. Uh, secondly, there's this awareness of the spiritual work. Each one has been given a manifestation or a, or a gift, he says, has been, each has been given a manifestation of the Spirit. That's what gifts are. They are, they, are, they are making the Spirit of God who is invisible, visible. They are ways in which we can say the Spirit of God is at work there. The Spirit of God is working through you. The Spirit of God is helping. The Spirit of God is leading. The Spirit of God is directing. Every time we, 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 we serve God and we, 
we um, are empowered by God, it makes visible the invisible of Spirit of God in our midst. That's what it means in, in many ways to make visible. We make visible the reality of the Spirit of God. We make visible the work of the Spirit of God in our midst. To each one has been given a manifestation of the Spirit. And notice what he says next in verse 7, though. He says, for the common good. This is so helpful, I think, in churches. And it's so helpful for us to wrestle this one through a little bit in our own thinking about the gifts. That the gifts that you receive, whatever they might be, are not for your personal promotion. They are not for your personal benefit. They are not to make you look good. They are not for you to make money on. They are for the common good of the body of Christ. And that is what the Spirit's work is about. It's about building us all up together. It's about serving us all together. It's about meeting the needs of one another. It's not about us. And so when we think about the work of the Spirit of God in our midst, He wants to make it plain. He wants to make Himself known through all of us. And He wants to do it in a way that we are built up and strengthened as a local body of believers. Again, these verses, or this verse, rules out using anything we receive from God for personal gain, for self-promotion, or for self-gratification. All of these gifts, it seems to me, are intended primarily for local congregations. God gives a local congregation what that congregation needs at that time and at that place. And it's a, I think it's a risky thing when we start to franchise out the use of our gifts and to self-promote and to make money and to, and, and to almost make parachurch or, uh, organizations out of gifts that, 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 that the Spirit has so-called given us because that takes it out of the realm of a local body of believers. It doesn't mean that it doesn't work, but I think the primary intention of God's gifting to a local body of believers and Christians is to serve in their local body. And so, to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every single one here tonight who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord can be used by the Spirit of God in the exercise of gifts or ministries or workings of power for the benefit of this local body of believers. And he goes on and he gives a little bit of an understanding of what that looks like in these next few verses, in, in verses 8 to 11. I hope you understand that, that, that nowhere in the Bible do we ever have an exhaustive list of all the ways in which the Spirit of God equips people to serve and minister. We have a list here in uh, chapter 12. We have a list in chapter 14. We have a list in Ephesians chapter 4. We have another group of gifts in um, uh, uh, I think it's First uh, Peter or Second Peter, and if even if you combine all of those, you still do not have an exhaustive list of all the ways in which the Spirit of God equips men and women, boys and girls, to serve in the body of Christ. They simply are examples or or ways of demonstrating the variety in which the Spirit of God has at His disposal to meet the needs of a local body of believers. And while some of these gifts have their place in a local body of believers as we gather together on the Lord's Day, I believe that these gifts are also in operation the other six days of the week, 24 hours a day. 
The gifts don't just have to operate here when we gather together corporately. I believe that the Spirit of God can gift us over coffee. He can gift us as we're visiting in the hospital. He can gift us in the school. He can gift, gift us at university. He can work through us for the good of somebody in this body of believers to build them up in the things of the Lord. And so he gives this little list, and this is nine things that he talks about. And these are just by way of illustration. And he, he does it, I think, to even push them from thinking not just about prophecy and tongues, but to think about the broader way in which God works in the lives of believers. And so he begins by just talking about wisdom. Wisdom is an incredible uh, gift that God gives um, from time to time to various people. It's an it's a insight into a situation. It's a skill to do a certain task. Um, sometimes we, we think of wisdom only as sort of um, uh, uh, understanding of um, truths or an understanding of um, scriptures. But I was reading in the Old Testament today, and uh, when they were making the priest's garments, um, uh, the ephod that he wore and the turban that he had on his head and the jewels that were part of it, um, God said to Moses, now I want you to use the people who I've filled with the spirit of wisdom so that they might make these things. So wisdom is something that can also be used to construct or to build things. An ability to understand materials in the way that they work together. It can also be, though, um, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. And so when we instruct people and guide them in the ways of God, that could be the Spirit of God working through us through the gift of wisdom to help somebody understand what it means to walk with God. I think about knowledge here. Knowledge is an incredible thing that we uh, need uh, in our lives and as a congregation and even individually. Sometimes it's just information that's not readily at our disposal in our natural um, settings. It's an awareness. It's insight into situations. It's knowledge that God gives to a problem or a situation that we might be having as a church or that somebody that you're talking with might be having in their own life. We have the, the reminder in the Old Testament of the men of Ishagar, Ishkar who had understanding of the times. They understood the times in which the people of Israel lived. They had knowledge of customs and circumstances, and it was a benefit to the people of Israel. We think about the gift of faith. This is not saving faith. This is just an extraordinary or a, or a, um, a beyond what, um, what we would normally have maybe to believe that God will answer his promises or do what he says he can do. I think of this in many different ways. I think of people like Abraham, who God told him that he would give him a son. And Abraham waited 25 years, even after he was too old to have children, and his wife was beyond the age of bearing children, and he believed without wavering that God would answer his, or re, would fulfill his promise. I think about somebody like George Mueller. Some of you have read um, stories about George Mueller, an incredible um, man of faith in England who um, ran orphanages and supported missionaries around the world. It was um, tens of thousands of pounds that he needed on a regular basis to meet the needs of the kids in his orphanages and the ministry or the missionaries that he supported. And he would never share his need with anybody else except for God. And he believed that God would meet his needs and God always met his needs. I think about uh, the, 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 the four men who had a buddy who was crippled 
and uh, had, had no way to get to Jesus. And I believe that they had just this confidence that if they could get him to Jesus, Jesus could heal him. I think they had the gift of faith on behalf of their buddy. And so they got him to a house. They broke a hole in the roof of the house. They dropped the guy down, and he was healed. I think the gift of faith is just this extraordinary sense that God gives us that he will um, uh, um, answer or that he will deal with a situation. Uh, we have the gift of miracles or the gift of healings. I, those are self-explanatory or physical issues that we can pray. And there's just this sense in which God, through our ministry and our praying, brings about a miraculous healing in somebody's body. There's miracles. Miracles are extraordinary displays of God's power. These are amazing, and they are happening today. These aren't just things that happened in New Testament times or in Old Testament times or in specific f periods of the church life. Miracles are something that God continues to do in His church and around the world. Extraordinary displays of His power. I've talked with people. There's people even here tonight who have seen God do incredible, miraculous things beyond anything that one could ask or imagine, but they believe that God can intervene in a situation and change circumstances in nature or in somebody's body. It's an extraordinary way in which God builds up the body of Christ. Prophecy. This can include um, uh, 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 foretelling in the sense of looking down the road at something that may happen. I think most often in a local body of believers, it's more forthtelling. It says we are having conversations or it's maybe as somebody is preaching or somebody is teaching and you're working in and around the Word of God and all of a sudden there's this incredible clarity and understanding and uh, the ability to express that and make that known. That's almost, for me, that's what a prophetic word is. It's, it's the clarification. It's the... It's the um, uh, um, um, what's I'm looking for? The proclamation of the Word of God. And it might be across the table at coffee with somebody. It might be up here as one is preaching uh, from the pulpit. But the gift of prophecy is a great gift that God, or one of the incredible ways in which God helps us understand His Word. The gift of discernment, the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, to see a path through, to distinguish between light and dark, moral light and dark. As we know, the, uh, the devil is described as an angel of light. And if he's an angel of light, it can be confusing. And sometimes as we're uh, making our way forward, either as a congregation or you're working with your small group or you're out with a couple friends and you're trying to work through some, all of a sudden God just gives incredible discernment and the ability to discern between right and wrong between light and dark for the good of that person in that situation. We have the gift of tongues. It's a spiritual form of speech that requires interpretation. And when the Spirit moves in a person to give a word of encouragement in an unknown language, it needs to be interpreted. Paul's concern is always when the church gathers together that what happens there be intelligible that it be understandable, that, it be, um, that people around as they hear it can know it. And if somebody just speaks in a tongue and has no interpretation, then it's confusing and it doesn't make sense. And that's why then he adds the gift of interpretation. It's the ability to um, hear what somebody speaks and then to give an interpretation so that it does benefit the body of believers. These are just a sample of gifts, and Paul just wants to outline them for these uh, congregants there. And it's not his way of saying these are all the gifts, but he's saying, listen, there may be tongues and there may be prophecy, but there is so much more that the Spirit of God has for a local 
congregation of believers. As I work through this on my own, and I, uh, this is just my own sort of reflections on these sorts of things. But I wonder um, if always we have to be aware of the gift that we have. I've had some great conversations today. And, you know, people, and I bet you if we asked today, there would be confusion here. Well, I don't know what gift I have. I've never found out what my gift is. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to think about it or go about it. To sort of wait and say, well, okay, the Bible says we're all gifted, but so far I've not received anything, so I don't know how God wants to use me. I think sometimes it, it, it maybe works more often the other way. And that simply we find ourselves in a situation that's beyond our ability, that's beyond our means, and, and all of a sudden we find ourselves praying for somebody or praying with somebody, and God just fills us with this incredible faith. And we, we believe as we're praying that God will meet their need and God will answer them. And then about three days later, and they call us up and they say, you won't believe what happened. God answered our prayer. And you say, wow, God, thank you for giving me the faith. Or it might be as you're visiting somebody who's sick or you've, you're, you're out with somebody and they're just down and under their weather and, 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 they, and they, they say to you, would you pray for me? Or, or you might say, I'll pray for you. And all of a sudden as you're praying with them, you just have this conviction that you need to pray that God would heal them. And just God does that. He heals them. And there's this extraordinary sort of demonstration of the power, a manifestation of the Spirit of God who brings about health and wholeness to a situation. You might find yourself um, working in a situation and, and you're all of a sudden dealing with something and uh, um, you find it just beyond yourself and you think, wow, what do I do? Um, God, uh, there's nothing that I can do. I need you to work. And so you pray, God, I need you to work a miracle here. And you believe that God would do it. And through your praying and through your confidence and through your prayer, God uses you to bring about a miraculous turn of events in a situation. In other words, it's, it's not as you wait and say, God, what is my gift? But it's you find yourself in a situation. You find yourself in a particular need. You find somebody asking you to do something. And you say, okay, there's a need. There's nobody else to meet it. I'm going to step in and meet it. And the Spirit of God just manifests himself through your willingness to serve him in that situation. And so I'm not always sure if the best way is to just wait until we understand or know what our gift is. Because, in fact, I sometimes think that the circumstances of any local body of believers can change. And so, and we know that in life, that, that as you grow in life, there are times when you have certain skills that help you in this job or in this situation. But then as you mature, the job changes or you change jobs and you did a whole not different set of skills. And you find yourselves maybe not using those skills anymore, but these skills. And I think sometimes that that's how it works in the church. I'm not convinced that once we have been used by God in a certain way, that's, that's how we're always used by God. Because the circumstances of a church can change. The needs of a church can change. And our awareness, our involvement in a situation varies. And so we might be used by the Spirit of God in this way at this time, and then years down the road we find ourselves in another situation, and the Spirit of God uses us again in a different way. And so I'm not always convinced that the best thing is for us to say, well, I have this gift or I have that gift and look for ways to exercise it. As much as I am, just as you see a, see a need, meet it. As you see an issue and as the Spirit of God impresses on you, pray for that person. Pray for them. Believe for that person. Uh, just, just different ways, I think, in which the Spirit of God works in us in those situations. I think we're often made aware after the fact of how the Spirit of God used us. 
And I think that's really helpful because uh, sometimes our human uh, proclivity is towards pride and arrogance. And if we knew we had a certain gift, we'd walk around looking for ways to use that gift. And, you know, we'd think, wow, I'm, I'm pretty good. I have this gift. And, you know, if you need, if you need a healing, well, just call me because I'm the healing guy. I, I, that worries me, and I say that with a little bit of flippancy, but uh, what I just want is I want the fullness of the Spirit of God in this congregation. And I want people to just be open and willing for the Spirit of God to use them, to manifest His presence and His power through them to meet a need or to be involved in a situation that normally they would just not know what to do. And you go into that uh, helpless and recognizing your inability, but crying out to God in the Spirit just empowers you to respond to a certain situation. So do you see someone who's sick? Pray for them. And if you are so inclined, pray that God would heal them. Are you talking with somebody about a situation and you just feel over your head? Just send an arrow prayer to God and say, God, would you give me wisdom that I can speak into this person's life? Is the church facing a difficult situation and we don't really know one way or the other? Maybe you might pray, God, would you give me knowledge so that I might help or might give insight or I might share what I think you're leading or saying to this congregation as they move forward. So whether we're gathered corporately or whether we're ga gathered individually, seek God's help. Seek the Spirit of God to manifest Himself through you as you make yourself available to Him. I do believe that we need the work of the Spirit of God more than ever in our churches today and in this particular church here. It's not just about the preaching of the Word. It's not just about leading in worship. God has a place and a role for every single one of you who knows Jesus as your Lord and Savior in this congregation for our common good, for our building up, and we need everyone to be willing to be used by the Spirit of God whenever and however He wants to use you. The problems we face are huge. The situations that we find ourselves involved in are complex. The needs that we have are as significant as there ever been. Is there any place in the Bible where it says don't pray for healing? Is there any place in the Bible where it says don't expect God to work miraculously? Is there any place in the Bible where it says don't prophesy? Is there any place in the Bible where it says don't have faith? Is there any place in the Bible where it says don't seek discernment? If there isn't, then we ought to pray for healing. We ought to ask God for miracles. We ought to ask God to fill us with faith. We ought to ask God to, to give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding. We ought to ask God to give us the strength to serve and to minister in certain ways. We ought to ask God to, to help us give um, beyond what we would normally give and what we would normally do. Almost daily, I'm confronted by my limitations and by my weaknesses, both as a pastor and just as a man who's trying to walk with God. And I need people to come alongside of me and to encourage me and to pour into me and speak wisdom and to speak knowledge and sometimes to even have faith on my behalf to speak clearly the word of God to me. I'm not ashamed to admit that I need the work of God in my life. I need the spirit of God to manifest himself in my life and in this church. I want us as a church to be built up. I want us as a church to to grow in, 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 in 
in the things of the Lord so that we're not tossed around by every wind and wave that comes our way, but we're all working together and we grow up in Christ, as Paul says in the book of Ephesians. And so he sums it all up again then in verse 11. It's just another way of saying what he said in verse 7, I believe. He says there in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit. That's unity again. It's not my personal abilities. It's not any power that I have. It's not any uniqueness about me. Everything that I do, every way that I serve, every insight that I have, every gift that God has ever given me has come to me from the Spirit of God. It's not in and of myself. Neither is it true of you. Everything that we have then, everything that we need is empowered by one and the same Spirit. Secondly, he goes on and he says there that he, he, and it's the Spirit who apportions to each one individually. There it is again. Individually. Each one individually. The Spirit of God knows what he's doing. The Spirit of God uh, knows who you're talking with. The Spirit of God knows the situation that you're in. And the Spirit of God can apportion to you at that time, in that place, what you need to manifest his gifting or his presence in that situation. It's the work of the Spirit of God. It's not for you and I to say, you do this, you do that. We look to the Spirit of God to say, God, this is our need. Spirit, would you provide? Would you equip so that we might be built up as a body of believers? And finally, he says that he apportions to each one as he wills. I think this is really important for us to think about. I think there's been a lot of abuse in the area of gifts, and there might have been abuse in the church in Corinth. In fact, there was abuse in the church in Corinth. And that sometimes people, when they're used by God in a certain way and um, maybe um, have been used by God to, um, to heal somebody or to work miracles, then they think that they have the, 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 the ability to, on command, use that gift whenever they want. I'm not sure that that's what the Bible ever says. It seems that the Spirit of God is the one who determines when when that gift is effective and when that gift is used. It's as he does so uh, according to his will. The emphasis is not on us, but it's on the Spirit of God. And that's, I think, what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth and he's saying to you and I here tonight. And it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about us um, drawing in and saying, God, we need you to manifest yourself in our midst. We need things from you that we can't provide for ourselves. We need wisdom. We need discernment. We need miracles. We need healing. We need faith. Um, Father, we need you more than ever. And so again, as I said, the instruction that Paul gave to a church 2,000 years ago, I think continues to be relevant for our church in the 21st century, even here at PFBC. And the place to start is what determines spirituality is not a gift that somebody has or the lack of gift that somebody else has. What determines our spirituality is, are you a child of God? Do you know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That is the measure of spirituality. That is what determines a spiritual person, is that you have been regenerated, brought to life by the work of the Spirit of God, and you are now submitting your life to Jesus Christ. We're not autonomous. We need one another. This, this whole section of verses is reminding us of that. We need 
need each other. You need to be meeting together on the Lord's day. You need to be meeting together throughout the week. You need to be connected with the body of Christ because it's as we're connected that the Spirit works in our lives and in other people's lives to build us up for the common good so that we might grow in our unity around Christ. So maybe as you think about these things, yes, you can pray and say, God, how is it that you want to use me? Um, God, how does your spirit want to use me in this particular um, place of Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church? And you might also, though, say, what are the needs of this church? Who needs ministry? Who needs care? Who needs prayer? Where can I serve? I don't know if I have the gifts. I don't know if I have the ability, but there's a hole, and I will fill it. And you'd be amazed at the way that God gifts you for that certain situation and that particular need to fill that hole and serve in the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for your word tonight and for uh, this church that was going through a lot of issues and certainly this one particular issue of gifts and of spirituality and of how the Spirit of God manifests himself in our meetings and in our local congregation. Father, I pray that we'll all wrestle through this stuff. I pray that rather than being afraid and rather than sitting on the sidelines, we would say, you know what, I'm just going to dive in. I'm just going to dive in and I'm going to serve God wherever there's a need and I'm going to trust that God will give me and God will equip me what I need to serve him in this situation and to meet this need. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.